to the next episode in our GDPR series podcast on GDPR and where are we now. My name is Beverly Flynn and I lead the Data Protection and Cybersecurity team here at Stevens & Box. Today I'm joined by my colleague Gary Parnell, a fellow partner in the Data Protection team at SMB. Welcome Gary. Hi Beverly and many thanks for inviting me to the pod. It's great to be here. <laughs> Not at all and thank you for joining me. In one of our earlier podcasts, we heard all about AI and what it means for the UK GDPR. Today's topic is on how to deal with the transfers of personal data outside the UK and abroad in a way that ensures that businesses can comply with data privacy laws. I wonder, Gary, could you tell us a little bit about the immense developments in this area? Because I appreciate there's been a lot. That's a really good question to to start on, uh, Beverly. I can. And of course, it has its roots in Brexit. As was inevitable, the effect of the UK leaving the EU has been that the UK is now considered a third country to the EU for the purposes of data protection laws and compliance and vice versa. And what do we mean by that? Well, in short, what it means is that firstly, the EU have to be comfortable with us, that we, the UK, have laws in place that provide adequate protection for the processing of personal data, which is transferred to us from the European Economic Area. And separately to that, we also need to be comfortable that any personal data to be transferred outside of the UK will be processed in jurisdictions that also have laws in place that provide adequate protections for the processing of personal data. So all in all, two GDPR regimes, the EU GDPR and the UK GDPR, and it has become far more complicated. So depending on the precise business model, uh, this can be uh, proving to be a bit of a headache for some UK businesses. To give you a flavour of the recent activity, which is really what you want to know about, uh, and the complications relating to GDPR compliance on international transfers, um, firstly, the European Commission required that by the end of last year, all agreements that we're using their former standard contractual clauses, the SCCs, to govern the transfers of personal data from the EEA to jurisdictions without adequate protections, had to be updated to replace the old SCCs with the the European Commission's new wider ranging SCCs. Now, as an aside, the new SCCs are a welcome addition to the regime as they have filled some gaps in transfer scenarios. Um, that were not catered for under the old SCCs. And and as you know, we've always had to grapple with those odd situations from time to time and how to get around things contractually. However, these new SCCs only govern transfers which originate from the EEA. So for transfers from the UK to what the UK deems to be um, uh, inadequate jurisdictions, let's say, businesses here instead have to rely on either entering into the separate UK International Data Transfer Agreement, uh, that's uh, known as the IDTA, or entering into the new EU SCCs, along with the UK addendum to that agreement. Hopefully everyone listening here is still following. Businesses operating in the UK can decide on which of these are best for them, depending on their particular scenario, but it does take some thought and perhaps a certain amount of head scratching for some in order to get it right. And of course, there is some further complexity added to the mix when our clients wish to transfer personal data from the EEA and or the UK to the US. 
people may recall that EU-US safe harbour scheme uh, more recently, uh, the, the scheme that replaced it, the Privacy Shield, each of which was originally used as a mechanism to validate transfers of personal data from the European Economic Area to the US. Well, the SHREMS and subsequently SHREMS 2 decisions, which I think people will have heard of, invalidated each of these main data transfer mechanisms between the EU and the US, meaning that until recently, all that was left was the SCCs coupled with transfer risk assessments or transfer impact assessments to be used to govern transfers to the US. So there's a lot to take on board here, I appreciate. However, in July, a new EU-US transfer mechanism called the Data Privacy Framework was adopted by the EU. That led to an adequacy decision by the European Commission for US transfers. And let's hope this sticks, but who knows for sure. And of course, it does not apply to UK transfers. So in respect to the UK, the UK and US have committed in principle to a UK-US data bridge intended to be the UK's extension to the EU-US data privacy framework, um, but we need to watch this space. So it's not decided as yet. So quite a lot there to unpack, Gary. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> That's fine. We've got the old SECs. We've got the new EU SECs. We've got the IDTA, the UK International Data Transfer Agreement. Yeah. We've got the UK addendum to the new EU SECs. Yep. And to add to all of that mix, we've got the replacement for Privacy Shield and Safe Harbour known as the Data Privacy Framework, the DPF. But that doesn't actually apply to the UK. It only applies to EEA transfers. Would that be a fair summary? That is a very good summary, uh, and I appreciate you doing that for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> the devil's in the detail, and you did all the details, so thanks for that. And it's definitely bound to keep our clients and their data protection officers and lawyers busy, that's for sure. Yeah. And yeah. just for completeness on this topic, I think it would be worth also touching on binding corporate rules. Therefore, can businesses use binding corporate rules, or, or known also as BCRs, to make a compliant cross-border transfer of personal data? Ah, yes, now that's a great point. And thank you for the reminder that the BCRs often get lost uh, or put uh, behind talk of uh, SCCs, etc. So the simple answer to your question is yes. Um, and there have been some updates to the ICO's guidelines on BCRs. Rolling uh, back on this a little bit, it is worth reminding our listeners that BCRs are mechanisms that can be used as a safeguard for intra-group transfers across borders to demonstrate that adequate safeguards are in place when making restricted transfers, I say that in inverted commas, within corporate groups. And, and there's actually quite a lot to unpick. Um, firstly, I, I mentioned restricted transfers. Well, these are essentially transfers of personal data from within the UK or the EEA to receivers located outside of the UK or EEA as applicable. And it's important to call them out because when we transfer data out of the UK or the EEA, we risk losing the protection of the UK GDPR or the EU GDPR, whichever is applicable to the scenario. So there needs to be rules in place within the group to ensure that the data's destination is safe. For these transfer rules to apply, the receiver must be a controller or processor in its own right, although there are exceptions in if the receiver, for example, is an employee of the transferring company or if the send and receiver are both parts of the same company or 
legal entity. Wow, thanks for the overview. And it sounds like there is indeed a lot to unpick <laughs> on the BCRs. How do businesses go about implementing these? And what are the updates that you mentioned? I know the ICO has been quite busy in that regard. Yeah, well, yeah, BCRs, they're not, they're not easy to implement. Um, and there are several things needed to get started with them. Firstly, an application form, uh, but also a binding instrument, a referential table, uh, a BCR policy, and any other relevant uh, policies and procedures referred to in, in the, the BCRs themselves. On the ICOs, uh, from the ICOs perspective and their updates, th these were aimed at simplifying the approval process. Uh, so supporting documents such as data protection policies and privacy policies are now only requested once during the application process. And where before there were separate referential tables for controllers and processors, all applicants now need to fill out uh, the table. Businesses need to publish their BCR policy in full so that individuals can see how their data is processed and transferred. As you can tell, this is still a fairly onerous process, so it tends only to be used by global organisations who have the time and capacity and and funds to 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 implement uh, BCRs. Yes, I think it's fair to say many of our clients for intergroup transfers are using intergroup transfer agreements where we, um, in the old days, we would have attached the old model yeah. clauses, but now we are having to update all of those to include the new SECs, yeah. the new EU model clauses, and then deciding whether or not to use an IDTA yeah. or to attach the UK addendum. So. Um, Yes, I think in a way that that's a, a different way of achieving intergroup yeah. transfers for those that don't want to go to the effort of being scrutinised necessarily by the regulator. Yeah, the yeah, abs absolutely. I, I definitely uh, echo that's the trend we're seeing. Yeah. Um, so it sounds quite time consuming to go the BCR route. So businesses may prefer to either use, as I say, IDTA or the SECs with the addendum. Um, can you maybe just talk a little bit about the interplay between the SECs and the IDTA, so the International yeah. Data Transfer Agreement that the UK has brought out, yeah. and the alternative of the addendum, the UK addendum, which goes with the EU SECs? Yeah, absolutely. And I know I, I touched on it in, in a bit of detail earlier and you you provided a great summary, but it's worth just sort of sort of, you know, hitting home with this. Um, so it's that, you know, as we both mentioned, uh, both the IDTA and the addendum can be used when making transfers from the UK. If a transfer only contains personal data from the UK and not uh, personal data governed by the EU regime, well, it's fine to use the UK IDTA. If the transfer includes personal data from the EU um, and or the UK, or, you know, both, uh, the ICO has emphasised that the, the, new, the EU's new SECs cannot be used alone. Uh, in that situation, if you want to use the EU SECs, uh, you need to also use the UK addendum. Uh, in conjunction with, with the SECs to make them work from a UK perspective. For any agreements, it's probably worth mentioning this, for any agreements using old SECs, uh, and which were signed on or before 21st September 2022, I remember, I believe. Correct. Yeah, 
<laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, there's a deadline of the 21st of March 2024, at which point they will have to be updated with either the IDTA or the addendum uh, to the new SCCs as required. And I think I'm mindful on that, that that's only in respect of existing transfers. If it's a new mm. type of transfer, then actually you have to use the new SECs yeah. and the addendum. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good point. Absolutely. Is there anything else we should be mindful of when using these provisions? We haven't actually got into the nitty gritty of the SECs themselves or the IDTA. No, I know. And we, and we could be talking for hours, couldn't we? Um, yeah, this is the topic or we possibly both Possibly sending everyone to sleep <laughs> by that stage. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let, maybe I'll just touch on uh, one or two things. So, so well, well, yes, both the SECs and the IDTA uh, require a risk assessment uh, to find out if the personal data will be adequately protected. So as well as entering into those, those, those documents, those agreements, you need to carry out an assessment. The UK version of this is called a transfer risk assessment. And the ICO has offered a template to help businesses with their, uh, their TRA, as it's uh, um, also known. It should, the TRA should essentially consider any risk arising from the type of data being transferred the size of the transferring entity and therefore what resources it has, as well as the quantity of data being transferred. So, so I suppose the point here is, is that it's not just about entering into getting the agreement or agreements right, it's, it's actually carrying out uh, an assessment of the risk at the same time, which is still really important. Yes, yeah, so um, often what we find is we do the uh, agreement, the intergroup agreement, or the SCCs and the addendum or the IDTA, yeah. and then separately we will run the, the risk assessment. And just to be clear for our listeners, the um, risk assessment under the UK regime is called... Transfer risk assessment, as opposed to the transfer impact... Impact risk assessment, assessment under yeah, yeah. the EU. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Two similar things, but different names. This, mm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I know, and it's uh, it's one of those things where we, you know, we as lawyers, we we can get wrapped up in helping clients with their what agreements they need to put in place. But the bigger picture is, you know, you need to know that 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 you've carried out the right assessment to ensure yeah. that you're happy with where your data is going, in order to give yourselves every chance um, of remaining in compliance with with our data protection regimes. Oh, much appreciated, Gary. I'm going to wrap this up now as that's more than probably enough information <laughs> for our listeners. But please do keep an ear out for our other podcasts in this series on GDPR. Where are we now? And thank you, Gary, for being so erudite and, and um, clarifying the the woolly world of transfers of personal data. So oh. really. Thank you, Beverly. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs>